Welcome to another episode of RMLD's Current Insights. I'm your host, Greg Phipps, at least for a few moments. Uh, I'm joined by our executive producer, Julie. Julie and I have been doing several of these, and uh, you know, we hope it's of value to you, our customers, to learn more about us at RMLD and how we do our best to take care of you with providing reliable, low-cost, non-carbon energy to your home, to your business, to your business. Uh, but we're going to do something different here. Julie and I are going to swap seats. Well, we're going to swap seats digitally. So, Julie, I'm going to put you in the driver's seat, and I'm going to be the answer man. Go ahead, Julie. All right. Thank you, Greg. As our listeners know, we typically have outside guests, but today I thought it would be fun to interview Greg, our fearless leader. So I will have you as the interviewee, and I will be asking <laughs> you the questions. I'm in the hot seat. Yes, you are. <laughs> if you're ready to go, let's get started. Let's do it. All right. So we typically start off asking our guests about their background. So can you tell us about your background and your journey in the utility industry and what brought you to be the general manager at RMLD? RMLD, yeah, interesting path. Uh, so a lot of experience in my background. Uh, trained as an electrical engineer, but really a business guy that uh, applies uh, engineering experiences. Um, I tend to get involved in industries that are undergoing dramatic change. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes about the electric industry or specifically the energy industry that's undergoing, as we like to call it, seismic change. But that's been my background, whether it's been in robotic systems or medical imaging systems or solar systems, um, which kind of uh, materials. So I, I ended up kind of getting to where I am now. Um, you know, a couple decades ago, got into materials that we sold into the early days of solar energy, um, solar panels, specifically thin film panels. And then uh, got into the uh, customer side of the business. I tend to look at uh, value streams, so either material side, uh, manufacturing, or customer, uh, supporting the customer. And uh, so as we uh, as we got further down the road, or more recently, about two, 10 years ago or so, um, really focused on energy optim. We call it energy efficiency, but we called it energy optimization. Um, how to help customers maximize the benefit of the energy and. Uh, Ended up getting plugged into the uh, MLP world of uh, Rhode Island and Massachusetts and Connecticut and uh, got to know who RMLD was. And, uh, and MLP is Municipal Light Plant, oh, just that's for right. not yep, as for common everybody. of an acronym to everyone. Good reminder, <laughs> good reminder. Uh, municipal Light Plants, it's, uh, so we're called Public Power. Um, uh, we, are, uh, we don't have any shareholders. We're basically... Um, our primary focus, we are a not-for-profit that serves uh, the customers in our local communities. And for us, uh, as uh, most of our customers, as the uh, podcast uh, audience knows now, we serve uh, Linfield Center and North Reading, Reading, and Wilmington. So we are, we are extremely unique among all the different, uh, all the 41 different MLPs in Massachusetts. Uh, we're one of the two largest ones, but we... Uh, we are different, um, specifically that we serve uh, the, the more majority of our load is outside of our, our host town, which is Reading. Um, but I ended up uh, getting involved in IRD, um, and uh, IRD is the Integrated Resources Group, and uh, that's the customer-facing group and also the power supply group. So kind of the beginning of the value chain where we get power from, where we source it from as RMLD, and then you know how we deliver it to our customers, set rates, incentives. Um, efficiency programs, et cetera, et cetera. And 
then I was, uh, uh, there was an opportunity when the former general manager uh, came to her point of retirement. Um, the uh, Board of Commissioners, uh, uh, it was an interesting process, but uh, I ended up uh, taking the seat, which uh, is fun. And it, it really, you know, Julie, it's, um, it's consistent with my, my background. I tend to get involved in industries and companies that are undergoing massive change. And we'll talk a little bit more about the, the massive changes that are, that are in front of RMLD. And it's, um, it, is, it is a fascinating time to be in this industry. Certainly is. As someone who's also in it, it, it you are you not, yes, you are you not overstating it. that. It is yeah. exciting a lot of, with a lot of changes. So utilities, especially electric utilities, face various challenges. Yes. What are some of the key challenges you see for RMLD and how are we strategizing to address them? Yeah, I think that, I think that's a great question, Julie, in terms of the context. Um, you know, so uh, we're not highly regulated, but we are. We we do have legislative and regulatory, um, uh, you know, laws and regulations that we need to adhere to. And in 2021, a, a, a seismic one, a significant one, get a significant one was put in place by the Commonwealth, uh, the the, Mach- the Massachusetts. Uh, Senate and House, and uh, it's you know we we call it the 2021 Climate Bill, but it for the very first well it is a it did several key things, but it it put um, non-carbon targets for us as MLPs to uh, to hit uh, between now and 2050. Intermediate steps you know 15 percent 50 percent non-carbon in 2030, 75 percent non-carbon in 2040, and net zero by 2050. The reason why that's important um, is that that it's tied to the energy we sell. And uh, so it changed, uh, it changed the metrics that we look at. Um, our mission has always remained, I shouldn't say always, but pretty darn almost always, you know, first and foremost, um, safety for our customers and safety for our employees. Uh, electricity can be dangerous. It's very helpful, very useful. We use it to light, to heat, to transport, to cook, to refrigerate. I mean, it's, uh, it's deep into our, each one of our lives, but uh, we need to keep it safe. But our core mission is reliable, always keep the lights on. Uh, low cost, be very affordable. And then the new metric that's come in place is non-carbon. So we have a metric in place for that. So that um, that has that has changed how, and this, it, it's primarily Massachusetts, but Massachusetts is a leader in, in New England and, uh, you know, and, and Connecticut, uh, all the states work very closely together. Um, but that's been a, a significant change in terms of, of changing the direction in terms of how we think about generating power. Um, and then the other big change um, really happened outside of our region, and that is um, uh, uh, liquefied natural gas, or LNG, is now um, able to be shipped across the Atlantic specifically and, for that matter, across the Pacific. But it has basically tied the European energy market to the U.S. energy market and specifically to, uh, to New England. Um, and as a result, that's put a lot more volatility in terms of pricings. The regulation has also um, is also driving um, uh, some of the uh, traditional generators um, out of the market over time, and it is encouraging more hydro, more wind, more solar um, in our territory, and it could drive more nuclear. But right now, there uh, there are three nuclear uh, reactors across two plants, um, and that's probably what's going to be in place for the next several decades. So the big challenges for us is, you know, the generation of electricity to fulfill uh, the uh, the non-carbon mandate from the bill, and then the that bill did two other things. It's driving a change in transportation, so the adoption of EVs specifically, 
and it's also driving the change in buildings and specifically heating and cooling, which cooling is pretty much in the way it's done today with air conditioners, but using electricity. But the big change is to heat buildings in the wintertime. And right now in our territory, about 98% of uh, homes in our territory are heated by either um, natural gas or oil. And the state is uh, increasingly putting in legislation and regulatory to drive that toward electricity, which means air source heat pumps. So the reason why that's important to us is that basically is going to double over the next 25 years the load that we have that, that we as Arma need to serve our customers. So we've come out of a flat period of no load growth and now we're in a two plus percent per year which doesn't sound like a much but when you multiply that over 20 or 25 years it's 2x and, uh, and then the last piece not the last piece but the other big piece is um, you know because it's a it's a much more digital world we're using more digital systems and not just computers but you know, mobile devices, et cetera. But we, um, and because we are becoming a more critical part of the infrastructure, because more of the society is paying upon electricity as opposed to gas or natural gas or oil over time, uh, we take both physical but also cybersecurity threats very, very seriously. So those are those are kind of the big pieces that we look at. Fascinating space. Right. And also our existing infrastructure, getting it ready for increased electrification. Yeah, well. that's, you bring up a good point. So, you know, when we think about the, the infrastructure, um, you know, we've designed, so we always, does, you know, electricity, there are battery systems or storage systems, but it doesn't store very well. And so you need to design the whole electric distribution system and the transmission system and the generation system so that it meets uh, meets load. So when somebody turns the lights on or refrigerator pump comes on or air conditioner comes on, the system automatically adjusts. And you basically always have to meet the exact load. So there's usually a, typically a, a 20 or 25% buffer that the whole system can handle your max load plus 20, 25%. But as that, as that um, load increases over time, we talked a few minutes about a few minutes ago about it doubling. Um, that means we have to build out our infrastructure to handle more load. And then the other piece, um, you know, we might talk about here in a few minutes, we will, within territory generation, we'll, we'll pause before I get to that topic. But from an infrastructure perspective, <clears throat> one of the applications that in-territory generation is going to drive is what we call um, a distributed generation network. But specifically, our systems, our wires and transformers and reclosers and communication systems need to be bidirectional. <clears throat> so sometimes uh, energy will be going, you know, north to south or east to west, and so, or you know, to a building. Sometimes it might be coming from a building and going to other parts of it. So there's a bidirectional nature. Of the uh, of the system, and then the fact that we will, um, you know, it'll be highly uh, automated so that uh, it adapts. It basically, think about it as a microgrid. It doesn't mean anything to our customers, but uh, um, a, a massive amount of of data and digitization and handling additional load and bidirectional load. So the infrastructure, literally, we are just the distribution infrastructure. We are, and we when we put something in place, it needs to be in place for 20 or 30 years. So, we're building the network of the 2040s and the 2050s today. Right, and one thing about our territory, there's not a whole lot of available land, so it's not like we're in you know, vast you are areas exactly to work. Correct. With. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. It's there's not a lot of available land, and so we have to think very um, out of the box, creatively. Um, to figure out how we make all this come together. Um, we are well-populated, which is good, right? We are close to the Boston area. We are geographically in a, 
very desirable location, which is which is good for our customers. Um, but it you know it provides some challenges for us in terms of how we how we fit how we fit into the you know how we fit into the physical space so we can deliver. So you mentioned the Massachusetts Climate Bill, which is obviously a major driver of our strategy. But when we look ahead to 2050 and the 100% non-carbon goal, can you just shed some light on how we're positioning ourselves to achieve that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Julie. And that, and that as we talked about before, that is a that is a significant factor in terms of uh, you know what impact on load and then how we actually supply that load. Um, and so we talked about the distribution network a little bit. It's got to handle 2x the load, bidirectional, a lot more digitization. But there are a couple other factors that come into it. And, and one of them is um, what we call in-territory generation. And we'll, I'll expand upon that in just a second. Um, but also in-territory storage. And one of the things that the, um, the new generation technologies, and I say new, well, more mature, um, but solar is relatively new. Wind is, I mean, you know, solar's been around for decades. Wind's been around for you know centuries. Hydro's been around for centuries in reality. Um, but each one of those are becoming a larger part of the portfolio, and that's driven you know to try and and use less fossil fuels, less less non-carbon generating um, systems to generate electricity. But the interesting thing is that um, what's different about solar or wind or hydro, is that you know it only it, you only generate electricity when the sun's out or when the wind's blowing or when the water's flowing down a river, and so there's an intermittent nature as opposed to a nuclear plant where it's always on, or a natural gas generator where you turn it on and you run it and then you turn it off. Um, so that intermittent nature needs to, we need to think about different ways to provide buffers. So that's where the storage is still is still early in the viable economic model. It works. We're doing a lot of storage systems. When I say storage, battery storage systems. Um, but that's a key piece of it. And, uh, you know, the other element um, that we that we do is, uh, you know, how do we encourage our customers to use their energy uh, more optimally and more efficiently? So a good example of the efficiency are or was the change that was done 15 years ago, which basically, from a regulatory perspective, mandated the replacement of incandescence with with uh, more energy efficient. So first it was CFL, so uh, compact fluorescence, and then it was LEDs, and that basically moved the load for a typical home. Lighting used to be just under 30 percent of the energy was for lights, and so if you know, for those of us that remember, our mom and dad say, "Turn the lights out," right? right? Um, exactly. We close the door. Mm-hmm. Um, but turn the lights out. But LEDs are much more efficient. And so the transition to, to LED now, and there's really only one choice, right? When you walk into Home Depot or Lowe's or, or whatever store to buy your light bulbs, you know, there's only, you know, it's different wattages, but it's not, you know, three or four different choices of incandescent and compact fluorescent and LED. It's now all LED. Anyways, um, there's no, the choice has been pretty much decided by the market. But the impact is that lighting is now seven, eight percent. And so when we think about efficiencies, we're trying to figure out other ways to help our customers transition to more efficient systems. Um, Air source heat pump is an example of that. Uh, You know, we've got a weatherization program that we're putting in place to help just not even, you know, not even be more efficient, but not even use energy. 
And then I mentioned optimization. And optimization is really the concept of when you use energy. And so some of the things that we're exploring right now are um, bi-directional um, EV chargers so that you can charge your car during certain periods of time. And if you decide to, your choice as a customer, um, but we will pay you to use the energy in your battery um, at other times. So there's an optimization in terms of, of using the infrastructure that's coming to balance out the intermittent nature of, uh, of supply. Fascinating stuff. Right. The bi-directional charging, is that something, like how far out would you say that well, is? Well, technology exists today. And so we're, we're in the process, you know, this year we will have installed at least one, uh, DC, uh, uh, what we call a DC fast charger. So a high volume charger that's bi-directional. Um, and that's going to give us a chance to do some exploration with, uh, with rates. And, you know, how to, so there's a technical side of it. The technical side of it is pretty well established. The real question now is what's the business model and, you know, how do, how do you make it easy for the customers? And so that's part of the learning for right now. Right. So you mentioned in-territory generation, mm. which is very exciting and fascinating. So can you just tell us the role it plays in achieving sustainability and how we're looking to make that happen in our territory? Yeah. So um, there's, there's a big push right now for us to do in-territory in territory generation. And um, I mean, it's, such a, it's, a, it's a seismic change for us. You know, I go back to the word seismic. Um, we as a municipal light plant um, have the authority from the state to generate electricity as well as distribute electricity. Um, we are in what they call a deregulated state. Um, so the, the IOUs um, can either, either generate or transport, or, you know, transmission or do distribution. So and in the early days, sorry, of RMLD, RMLD did generate. Well, we've had that ability to generate, you know, since we were formed back in 1894. In fact, in fact, uh, the original generation was to to basically power streetlights, which is why it was our, you know, Reading Municipal Light Department, uh, keyword being light, uh, to illuminate. And uh, so we actually, um, at our current location at 230 Ash Street, there's a building um, in our campus called um, Station One. And Station One used to be the, one of the original. It was back in the early 1900s, 19, I believe it was 1905, roughly plus or minus a couple of years when it actually was fully commissioned. But it was a generation plant. And uh, there was actually the building that we currently operate for our administrative building that you or I are in. Um, before that building was there, it was a turnstile for a rail car that we used to drop um, coal. This goes back, and this is in the 30s and 40s time frame, so a long time ago. But we used to be in the generation business. and. Well, we're going to be back in the generation business, and um, there's lots of challenges to doing that. But from you know, your your question of how does it help our sustainability, um, you know, the generation that we are in the process of putting in will be either you know no non-carbon or low carbon, and you know we're trying to figure out right now how we get to fully non-carbon. Um, we are the state mandates that are in place for 2030, for example. We are um, ahead of those. Uh, we'll be making changes probably or recommending changes to our, um, our retirement program for certificates so that we can actually in either this year or the next year um, actually hit actually from a you know, compliance perspective, you know, hit the 2030 target. But um, so from a sustainability piece, um, the ability to generate in territory with the thing that you mentioned earlier about, you know, access to land because we need land to make all this happen. Um, it's part of the puzzle, but our goal is to be is to hit those targets, or to be ahead of those targets, and make sure that the power is on, right? Keep the lights on, reliable, and 
you know, make it low cost. So it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating time. Another benefit to in-territory generation is that you save on transmission costs. So it goes back to our low cost. Exactly right. Mantra. Yep, it does. Being yep. non-carbon. So it is. Very so we look, at, we look at the whole business model, right, in terms of, uh, you know, how do we improve the reliability? How do we keep the cost structure down? But you're exactly right. Transmission cost, for the, all the reasons that, you, you know, we kind of talked about before, um, more uh, intermittent generation sources in the form of offshore wind, solar. Um, you know, there won't be any additional hydro really built in our territory. And our hydro portfolio is in very good shape. Um, but... Uh, being able to bring power from all of those new resources that are getting put in place requires more distribution systems, and that's more money. And we only pay those dollars if we're taking power from those other resources. So the motivation is and not completely. We're not going to unplug from the grid. That's not the that's not the message here. But tentatively, our working target right now is by 2040, 40 percent of our power will be from uh, internal generation. So 40 and 2040 coming up it's fast yeah so back to the topic of reliability which is very important Mm. for rmld and its customers so how does rmld ensure grid resilience especially during extreme weather events and what emergency preparedness measures does rmld have in place yeah i think i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of broaden that topic in a couple hit a couple of these uh, pieces here um because we're doing a few things from our our infrastructure perspective that uh increase the reliability on a regular basis, but also um, uh, harden our system. When I say harden, making it more uh, resilient to, to weather, et cetera. Um, part of it is uh, what we call AMI, um, Advanced Metering Infrastructure. Um, the, the related piece is um, automated uh, meter reading systems. And so we have, a, we have a mix of the two right now, but the future, well, the future Capabilities now are, are, you know, second and third generation AMI systems. And so we are literally in the process this year um, sending out uh, requests for, uh, for information and requests for bids and proposals for the next generation AMI system, um, which basically includes the metering system and the communication system between the metering um, on the individual buildings, as well as... Uh, uh, all that data coming back to our headquarters so we can manage and make sure we have enough energy there. And then at some point in time, you know, we, we talk about, you know, our, the RMLD, an RMLD mobile app, um, but part of it will be also a metering system as well as built into the mobile, and that will come into play with more EVs. But um, So that's a key piece of it. Um, as part of our uh, increasing the capability of our distribution network, more um, instrumentation, more more. Uh, I say metering, but instrumentation in terms of knowing what, what the pieces are, the ability to redirect. So if there's a particular fault, a, a limb comes down and shorts out some wires on one particular, we can isolate that and, and have it fed from the two different directions. All those things that we do now, but to do them faster, um, more concentrated. Um, and then the other thing is just pure physical hardening, you know, um, changing the way we, we you know, uh, insulated wires as opposed to open wires and just different things so that as you have weather events, um, the system is uh, less sensitive to them. And that's an ongoing process, but a good one. But there's a lot of technology today that allows us to do these things. And, you know, as you mentioned before, we need to do it in a cost-effective way. Uh, and so part of the challenge right now is we really focus on our customer rates and more, specific, more specifically what our customer bills are. 
and we, you know, there's, there is upward pressure from the cost of energy, which is 70% of our cost structure, and that's purely pass-through. We, you don't make, we don't mark up any of the energy costs. We, we just, we buy it as efficiently as we can, and hopefully, as we talked about before, in territory generation, we'll generate it. And then there's the 30%, which is our operating cost, et cetera. So we're trying to be as efficient as we can. At the same time, while we build out our network, so we're making investments today that are going to be in place not only five years from now, but 20 and 25 and 30 years from now. So there's upward pressure on bills to to accommodate this transition to a non-carbon world. So you mentioned AMI, um, the advanced metering infrastructure, but are there other technical innovations that are helping enhance efficiency? Yeah, so, you know, I mentioned before in the in-territory generation, um, you know, low-carbon solutions. Um, and it, and we're, you know, our goal is to, is to, you know, continue to dramatically reduce our carbon footprint and our greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and, um, you know, fossil fuels, particularly natural gas, uh, is still, uh, you know, we're looking at it as basically a bridge, an intermediate technology that combined with carbon capture to dramatically change the output. So actually capturing carbon to actually turn it into uh, a revenue source to sell it to, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, for example, that uses carbon dioxide as a growing medium for all the development work that they do and the growing medium that they use. They currently import it from Pennsylvania and New Jersey in 18-wheel trucks. So we think in the whole system, it would be more efficient for us to actually you know, generate electricity that provides those pharmaceuticals, for example, um, and then also uh, provide them, you know, CO2, you know, kind of a, kind of a microcosm. Um, there's water that comes out of these, uh, uh, some of these systems that we're looking at that are tied to the carbon capture, loop that back into other manufacturing processes. So a lot of, uh, uh, you know, kind of a uh, integrated little, uh, you know, microcosms of, uh, uh, of, of a business and technology. So there's a lot percolating in that perspective. But again, working closely with our customers and helping us all reduce the carbon footprint. So the carbon, carbon capture technology, so is that something we are looking to do in our territory? We're exploring that actively as we speak. Um, and we will, you know, if, if we move forward with it, um, it's looking very viable. For, it's looking viable from a technical perspective. It's looking viable from a business perspective. Um, so if we, if we move forward with it, you know, we'll be one of the early adopters. And that's one of the things that we're doing at RMLD. You know, RMLD, like every business goes through phases. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're in the innovation, innovation phase of our business right now. So we'll be one of the, the first, one of the first handful of uh, utilities that are doing carbon capture uh, in, this, in the country, realistically, if, if this all comes together. And it's not to necessarily be the first, but, you know, we, our goal is to take care of our customers and to fulfill the mission, reliable, low-cost, non-carbon, and things are happening quickly. Um, you know, the world is changing fast, particularly the energy space. So we are, you know, we're trying to find those next steps, those intermediate steps that get us to, uh, to you know, net zero non-carbon. Yep. So we keep bringing up low cost yeah. energy. And obviously we're exploring new technologies. So when we are exploring these technologies, how do we strike a balance between cost effectiveness and innovation to assure that we do keep our rates as low as possible for our customers? Yeah, I, uh, that, that's a great question. And every little element, you know, there's always trade-offs that we make. 
Um, but we, you know, we are very data centric now. Um, we do a lot of data analytics, and when I say we do data analytics, it's not just you know income statements and financials and payback periods. All very, very important pieces. But the other thing that we do is, you know, to the best of our ability, um, we've got much more sophisticated models in terms of load forecast. And load forecast is critical because that's what the need's going to be, and then that drives, you know, what the infrastructure needs to be, which drives the cost structure because we need to make sure we put the platform in place now so that it can support us for the next 20, 25, 30, 30 years, 35 years, my apologies, um, or longer. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of data analytics that go into it, um, but we're all, we, we, you know, our time horizon is two, um, three decades out. So we're making decisions in the future where the future is clearly nobody has a crystal ball. Um, but it goes back to really, um, you know, to best of our ability, sophisticated models—not just economic models, but load models, et cetera. So, and we're we're making trade-offs, you know. And and at the other element, you know, where can we learn from others that might, you know, uh, have done stuff before us? You know, we're, we we uh, do not have a not invented here syndrome. But we 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 actively look to learn lessons from other people and share, um, you know. Here's what we've learned with other people because it's um, it's it's a challenge for all of us, but it's a it's a fascinating challenge. And you're regularly like meeting with other utilities and discussing uh, the utilities, uh, conferences, shows, uh, vendors. Uh, um, you know, every week we've got you know, we, we're now in a position where um, it, the innovative vendors are coming to us. Hey, we want to try this out in your space. And what's nice about us is we are large enough to be in our, you know, we're a microcosm given our mix of residential, commercial, industrial, the fact that we serve multiple towns, we've got a nice geographic area, um, that we're a good uh, uh, pilot, Pilot, yeah, right, a, a, you know, a, a good a good sandbox, so to speak, for, for people to try it in. Um, we're nimble enough to move stuff. And the reason why that's beneficial um, for our customers is we get access to technologies that we don't have to write the check for, or at least not all of it, um, because our customers are looking, our, the vendors are looking for um, case studies, um, marketing, et cetera. So it's it's a win for our customers. Great question. Yeah. So um, our last um, kind of official question. So can you give an example of an upcoming project that you are excited about for RMLD? Yeah. So there's just um, narrow it down to one if you can. Oh please, why just one? Um, so probably the, the, I have a passion for this project we call Maple Meadows. And, and Maple Meadows, we're, we're in the process of taking a land that is sat, uh, I'll call it blighted property, um, that has, for a whole bunch of reasons, um, it's a, part of it's a super fun site, um, part of it is a, 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 an unfinished landfill, um, it's not toxic uh, in the case of the, the landfill side of it. But we envision it being a, a renewable energy park. And so we're, you know, it's, it's, if it would have been easy, it would have been done already. And I say that, you know, not Tell to, our customers where it's located. Oh, that's be. a good point. Yeah, Maple Meadows is in the southwest coast. Thank you. It's in the southwest corner of, of Wilmington. And it, it, it will be part of our goal to have distributed generation around our territory. But anyways, there, there'll be more information coming on, uh, on Maple Meadows. It's, it'll be several years in the making, but um, it's, it's, it is worth doing. And we are, as RMLD, are, are probably uniquely positioned to be able to, to see this vision in reality. And we're going to push forward to it. And 
you know, at the end of the day, it will improve our reliability of our network. It will reduce our, it'll put downward pressure on our cost structure, and it will be non-carbon. So it hits all of the, it checks all three boxes. Mm-hmm. So, so thank you. That's a good, yeah. that's a good, re- yeah, good question for our audience. That'll be a fun day when that. Oh when yes, that yeah, it will be. Okay, so typically how we end these episodes is we answer a question from our customers. From the mailbox. From the mailbox, but we've had a lot of repeated questions in the mailbox, so I thought instead we can ask a fun personal question to close here so people can learn a little more about you. So outside of your role as the general manager in the electric utility industry, what is a personal passion or hobby that brings a unique perspective or inspiration to your work at RMLD? Uh, Great question. Um, You know, one of the, so uh, I've been sailing sailboats, racing sailboats since I was a kid. And uh, so one of the things uh, that I do in the, so do a lot of summer sailing, of course, in nice weather. but we race in the wintertime, too, and it's called frostbite sailing. And it's common all over New England um, and, you know, for other parts of the country, uh, other countries uh, in the Northern Hemisphere as well. Um, but it's uh, Sunday afternoons from 1 to 3 where the light's still out. Um, we, we do all weather. Independent of the weather, we're out there unless the, unless the water's frozen over. Um, and, uh, you know, it's about, uh, you know, 18... Uh, of us they're out racing and so it's competitive right and little sailboats and we make sure we're safe so you know kind of lessons right make sure we're safe because the water's cold mm-hmm. right uh, we make provisions with wetsuits and life jackets mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and how the boats are set up but I think the other element is um, you know in terms of preparing for us um, you know the lessons I take back to RMLD you know um, you know th- th- there's there's the competition associated with how do we do this better right um, and we're all very good friends, um, but we still compete with each other. But there's the question of, hey, let, you know, how can we do better? Continuous improvement. Continuous improvement, exactly right. And we share ideas, you know, back to, hey, I figured this out, how to make the boat run, you know, sail faster. So there's a lot of data sharing and information sharing. Um, but I think the other element goes back to, you know, uh, the perseverance, right, and, you know, facing challenges. Weather conditions change all the time, right, just like for us and, um, uh, in, in, you know, in the, uh, on a terrestrial basis. But um, you know how you adapt, how you how you adjust, how you adjust the sail, how you adjust the course, and the same thing you know in our energy space, right? It's changing very quickly, and uh, you know you know how do you remain nimble, um, looking ahead? So when you're racing a sailboat, you always have to look, you know, where's the next mark, where's the next course, where's the wind shift coming? So you got to be looking ahead. So I think in the context of of making sure that um, we do our best, that we accommodate the 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 changes in the world around us, the changes in the environment we're sailing through, um, uh, sharing information with our competitors, and but you know persevering, pers- persevering through, um, you know those are lessons that I take from frostbiting that that uh, that apply to RMLD, and you know it's if we didn't have fun we wouldn't be doing it, so we have a lot of fun sailing and and uh, as you know right and hopefully our audience has got a sense of those who who have met us, um, but you know myself but the whole RMLD. We enjoy the work we're doing. We think that we just, we are, this is a great opportunity for us to do something worthwhile for our customers. Well, I guess that wraps it up. Thank you for letting me assume the hosting duties. Um, It's fun being in the driver's seat, but thank you very much for sharing your insights. Well, great. So I think I'll do the final wrap up, Julie. So that's a wrap for uh, another episode of RMLD's Current Insights. And again, uh, I thank you as Greg Phipps, uh, 
as the, the primary host, uh, with Julie being the, the host today as well, and also our executive producer. So the two of us say thank you guys all very much for spending time with us again today.